0: We hope this podcast has done more than keep you company on the treadmill or along your commute. We hope it's a small reminder of the beauty of God and the people around you. At Church on Morgan, we serve a community with a wide variety of experiences and beliefs. We respect where you are, and throughout the year, we rarely mention giving on here, not because it isn't important, but because we know this resource is often shared with folks who are wondering if they can trust the church again. If you are one of our generous listeners, thank you for your support. Would you consider making a year-end gift to continue to support this ministry? When you give, you help to create a safe space for someone who might be giving church one last chance. And we are so grateful. To make a contribution, visit us at churchonmorgan.org and select Give. And now, we invite you to take a moment of quiet before we dive in. It's good to see you. Uh, hey, if we've never met before, uh, I'm grateful that you risked it, joined us. Uh, my name's Justin. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Church on Morgan. I'm excited to spend a few moments together today. Um, for the last couple weeks, we've been taking a moment as, uh, as the kids leave to center ourselves a little bit. And uh, to carve out just a few moments of quiet and stillness, silence. And so I'm going to invite you to do that before I read the scripture this morning. Just take a minute, kind of find a posture um, that's suitable for listening and breathing and being human, present. Just take a few moments to get quiet. Would you hear now this reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35? Uh, And the prophet writes, The wilderness and the dry land shall be made glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful of heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless shall sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the deserts. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransom of the lord shall return and come to zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away uh, friends this is the word of god for us the people of god thanks be to god So for the last uh, two or three weeks as we've been making our way through Advent, we've been hanging out with the prophet Isaiah, who has given us uh, beautiful poetry and imagery, reminders of what our uh, destiny is, what this world's good future and end is. Uh, he's convinced that if, if we were to see, if we were to be given a glimpse into how things will ultimately shake out, how the story finally wraps up, that it would change the way that we live here and now. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been living in what we've been calling, uh, thanks to Madeline Langle, the irrational season, uh, being swept up with these dreams of Isaiah, these beautiful depictions of what the world might one day be and we believe will be. Uh, by God's grace. And today we're given another one of these, um, and uh, I'm still learning how to preach poetry, right? Uh, I can feel this better than I can teach this, I think, but I, I, I'm feeling what he's feeling, right? He, he begins right out the gate, and he's speaking to a people who are living in exile. Uh, God's people, they've kind of done made a mess of their life, and as a result have been conquered and led away uh, they're living in exile in Babylon. They've been, all their homes have been taken from them, their connection, their culture, their people, their cities, their places, their restaurants, their everything. And they're living in exile, and Isaiah is telling them there's a day coming when uh, you will have this glorious homecoming, that, that we are going to make our way back through this terrible wilderness and desert and receive this fertile, beautiful land, and it will be a reflection of our own souls. And we'll come back singing to the city of God, to Zion. It's happening. It will happen. It's coming. Right? And, uh, but the most, um, at least for me, I would argue that maybe the most beautiful verse in the whole chapter 35 that we just read is the 10th verse. And I've been stuck. It's the last verse. I've been stuck on it all week. The first time I read it, it sort of grabbed me. Uh, I'll give you a, what it sounds like in the message paraphrase where Eugene Peterson takes this on. He says it this way, he says, and then one day, they will sing as they make their way home to Zion, unfading halos of joy encircling their heads, welcomed home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night. I think it's that last phrase that really has kind of like captivated my imagination this week, mostly because I don't think uh, I, I did some work and found out there are other places in the scripture where a sigh is mentioned, but I didn't recall any. And it seemed like a really interesting human behavior for the prophet to note. As he's trying to paint a picture The last image he gives them is he says, there is a day coming when you will sigh no more. I've been thinking about a sigh. In fact, this week, as I started kicking this around in the hallway, turns out, I don't know if you know this, everybody's got their own unique sigh, right? Kind of like your snowflakes, right? And uh, some sighs are very aggressive and violent and guttural. Some are very delicate and whispery and polite, right? Uh, And so this morning, uh, I'm sorry for some of my friends who I happen to know your name, but I'm just going to call you out. I think if we're going to enter this, we got to preach this text together, and uh, it's more about feeling it than thinking it. And I, I, I believe we got to hear some sighs before we get going. I, I need to hear what your sigh is like, and uh, I'll, I'll lead out with my own. Uh, I actually have a whole catalog of them, but I'll just give you a sample uh, today, right? Um, so here would be uh, this past week, Oh, this isn't a good decision. It's fine. This past week, um, Maggie and I came in here Wednesday morning, and we cleared all the chairs with some of the help from our staff, put everything away. We created all new slides for our sound bath Wednesday night. We dialed in just the perfect meditative late-night blue Advent look. Um, we thought through what would be the perfect psalm and the call and the response and the rest of it. Then we sent out emails to everybody who'd registered for the Advent Sound Bath. Then I sent out emails to everybody who'd ever attended one in the past um, and said, "Hey, it's going down." And about the time that last email sent at like two o'clock, I got a text from our uh, Sound Bath leader, uh, which is sometimes referred to as a sound healer, uh, who let us know that they had fallen ill, um, that our sound healer had gotten sick. Right? And, uh, and so then immediately we undid everything we did that day. We put all the chairs back, we put, took the slides down, we sent emails back to all those people saying don't come, right? When I got that text, the sigh that I let out from my office slash conference room slash youth room was, <laughs> I want to hear your sigh. Um, so, uh, Whitney. Give us your sigh. What's just a Monday morning sigh? That's not bad. See, polite. It's very nice. <laughs> Kyle, what's your sigh, man? Uh. <laughs> that good. I like Kyle's. I like Kyle's. Um, let's see here. Mary, what you got? <sighs> That's pretty good. Brian? <laughs> I like it. We'll stop there. That's good. I hadn't heard that one yet. I've heard a lot of sighs this week. Um, So, I never thought about it. But it's an interesting part of who we are, right? That we do this thing. And um, sometimes we do it unconsciously. In fact, we do it unconsciously a lot. But when we're conscious of it, there's a handful of reasons why we sigh. We sigh when we're stressed out, right? When you're just wound so tight and it just leads you to a sigh. We sigh when we're anxious, when our whole body seems to be vibrating, when we've got that hum inside, that tightness in our chest, we sigh. We, um, we sigh out of regret. When you say the thing that you wish you hadn't said, when you send the email that should have stayed a draft, right? We sigh. We sigh when we're exhausted, when we're weary. We sigh after a long stretch of work, where you finally find yourself in your living room, and you sit down for that first time the thing that naturally comes out of us is a sigh. Sometimes we, we sigh because we're having an experience that somehow we can't seem to get our arms around. Like maybe it's something that's just too beautiful or too profound and it just leads us like, there's gotta be this release and we, and we sigh then. Uh, it turns out that um, physiologically, what's happening when you sigh is that you're, you're essentially taking a double inhale with a double exhale. Right? You're taking that deep belly breath that your yoga instructor invites you to take, right? When you go, gosh, that's good. Like, where did they learn this stuff? And it's like, you've been hardwired and you've been doing it your whole life, right? A sigh is, um, essentially what happens is that uh, as we kind of go along, we're only using a certain bit, part of our lung capacity. And so they have these like air pockets. I'm not gonna get into the technical jargon, but they begin to kind of collapse because we're not using them. And then when you sigh and you take that double inhale, you're essentially stretching your lungs to twice their capacity and then letting it out. There's this sense in which whatever I'm facing, this stress, this anxiety, this tension, this regret, this experience, right? Uh, I'm going to need a little bit more life than I got right now. I'm going to need a little bit more capacity than the capacity I've been given. And our bodies just They've been hardwired in that moment to go. We're going to stretch ourselves out internally for a second. We're going to open ourselves up to the capacity of what that looks like. And as a result, you get this short little burst of relief, right? It's like the weight of this moment. And for a second, we get like a hit of relief, right? I at least get through this second. I can at least get through this moment. And uh, so this morning, uh, I want to think about this a bit. I'm especially curious what's leading you to sigh right now. What in your life, if you were to imagine, if you had a catalog of the sighs from the last week, and you had to attribute them, you know, where do they go? Um, these could be varying levels of seriousness. Uh, the first ones that came to mind for me this week, at least while I was preparing this, was... Um, You know, got cold outside, we brought our plants inside, and then uh, they brought with them, apparently, like a million fruit flies, Um, and so we have just been bleaching the ever-living stuff out of our house every day, wiping, cleaning, garbage disposaling three times in a row, trying to get them to leave. And every day I come home from work and I open the door and as I walk into the kitchen, I'm waiting and I'm hoping, and then, yep, they're still here, and I let out a sigh, right? Uh, I I find myself sighing at the amount of time we spend negotiating screen time in my family right now. Uh, How many minutes of our day are wasted in this? Um, I'm curious what's got you sighing. So if you would, just for like the next 90 seconds, Would you turn to a friend or meet somebody new and just exchange? What's got you sighing? What leads you to sigh? Maybe today, this morning, in this very moment, maybe it's people asking you to talk to your neighbor. Uh, (laughs) What is causing you to sigh? Take a minute or two to do that, and then I'll call us back. I'd love to hear a sample of uh, this section. What's got us sighing over here? Somebody give me, give me something you heard. Family dynamics over the um, hey, you know what? I'm gonna ask people to share and then we're all gonna give a sigh together. So family dynamics throughout, uh, family, how did you say it? Family dynamics over the holidays. And together? <sighs> that felt as good as I hoped it would. Okay, <laughs> over here, over here. What are we sighing about in this section? <sighs> oh my God, that's so good. Um, over here, what are we sighing about in this section? <sighs> <sighs> over here. <sighs> I we mean it. Like that was that felt almost like thin. That's terrible. I'm sorry. You know, the truth is, especially, that's a a kind of a fitting way to pivot in that, um, you know, one of the other things I realized about a sigh this week is it's not just this biological stretching of our lungs. It's not just this response that we have for when life starts to feel overwhelming. But I I think I realized that a sigh for me is often, um, it's my first prayer, right? That when when I get... um, the text from one of you, or I have that conversation across a table, or that email notification pops up that somebody's filled out the care form. That that before I write a response, before I go look on my shelf for like the book of common prayer to see if there's ever been a prayer written for this moment that we might leverage together. Before I um, pick up the phone and call, that the first thing, the first. Prayer that's often uttered as a sigh. It's uh, just in the last two weeks here in the life of our church. Uh, this is just a sampling of the things that folks have been carrying that have led me to sigh. Uh, the week of Thanksgiving, one of our beloved members and leaders here at our church uh, had his children and all their grandchildren coming into town for Thanksgiving in a, a day or so before Thanksgiving. Uh, His heart started racing and had to go to the hospital and it took them until Monday to get his heart back on track. And by the time he was back steady, his kids and grandkids had all gone. Um, It's the first prayer that was uttered when I heard that one of our beloved children this week, um, who has had some seizures in the past, that her mind was seizing again and that um, her mom was going to have to walk through this while her dad was away in London and it led me to sigh right Um, it's what I thought of when someone in our community in desperation reached out and said hey over Thanksgiving my brother was like really quiet it sort of freaked me out and I just followed up with him and it turns out he's in a really dark place in fact he's been struggling with suicidal ideation and I don't know what to do, right? And the first thing that comes is a sigh. Uh, it's the first thing that probably came out of me while I was on the phone um, with a beloved new friend that I've made in this community who isn't here this morning. And the reason they aren't here is probably because they are stuck in a painful cycle of anxiety and I know that I only get to see them on the good days, and if they're not here, it's because they literally can't be, because there's no place they'd rather be, who called me to say, this thing, this devil I've been dancing with for my entire life has put me in a position where I can no longer even hug my own children for fear, crazy, irrational fears that I have about germs and the rest, right? It's It's a sigh that is my first response. Before you find any words or any prayer or any way forward, this has often been my first prayer, this recognition in our bodies that somehow, God, I'm going to need more, we're going to need more than whatever we have right now. I'm going to need a double inhale of the Spirit in this moment. You know, you start thinking about all these moments and Sometimes if you're being honest, it feels like our whole life is just one long sigh. And if you felt that way, you wouldn't be wrong, because it turns out we sigh about once every five minutes or 12 times an hour. Part of what it means to be human is to just every five minutes need some sort of reset, right? This is what it feels like. This is especially what it feels like for an exiled people who've lost everything they know and love and who this prophet says to clearly, I have some things I want to tell you. So he says, Isaiah, prophet of the Lord, I want you to say this to my people. I want you to tell those with weak hands. I want you to tell those who are losing their grip on this life right now and can barely hold on. I want you to tell those with wobbly knees who can't find a way to stand up straight anymore. They've been so bent over by the stress and pain of this life. I want you to tell those whose hearts are literally racing with panic. This is what I want you to tell them. Do not fear. In fact, rejoice. Rejoice. The image he tells them, these people who have nothing to sing about. As he says, a day is coming, it's coming even now, it's breaking forth even as we sit here when the people of God will return to their holy city singing with joy, halos of joy above their heads. Your life might feel like a dirge, but the songs of joy are breaking forth even now, they're coming, right? And I'll be honest with you, that image especially struck me um, on behalf of our community, you know, I, I uh, I'll tell you a little something about us, Church on Morgan. Um, you're my favorite church. And that's a good thing. Um, you're my favorite kind of people. If we're going to do this thing together, there's nobody I'd rather do it with than you. And whenever we get to welcome a guest in, it's my great pleasure to tell them who their audience will be. This past year, we had 17 different guest preachers, which I'm, I love, that we have all these aunts and uncles around the community. Country who come in and invest in us and are invested in by you, that when they get in the room with you, it renews their own hope of what the church could be, right? And, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, but whenever we have a new guest, especially like a musician or a worship leader coming to join us, I also get to introduce you to them. And um, and I'll just be honest with you, part of the conversation I have to have with them is. Like these people are fantastic, and if once you get coffee with them and you're here with us for a while, you are gonna love them. Uh, but I'm just gonna give you a heads up: uh, don't be surprised if when you're up there leading worship and music, that none of them sing. Right? <laughs> they might just straight stone cold stare you down. Uh, they, they're not angry. They, it, it, contrary to what it looks like on their faces, they are happy to be here. They chose to be here. Uh, they're not even displeased with your music. We have great music. Our, our musicians are incredible. It's, it's different. It's something else, right? I was reminded of this conversation just like a couple of weeks ago with my own son. And many of you, if you grew up in the church, you might have had a, a version of this. Um, he uh, just went on his first ever youth retreat. And in uh, that wonderful wonderful. Uh, Adolescent, idealistic moment. Uh, He promptly came home to tell me that we're doing everything wrong. (laughs) But top of the list would be the church on Morgan sucks at singing and how come nobody sings there and why isn't it like it is at youth group where everybody sings so loud and so hard and will you fix that, right? And I remembered having this exact same conversation with my parents when I was 13 or 14 years old, right? That the only people who get this thing, right? And, and so apparently it's not just my parents' generation. Apparently we're now that generation, right? And some 2,800 years ago, it was Isaiah's generation. And he said, I got a vision for you. Let me tell it to you. You're not even going to believe it. But these people, the ones my friends who hang out on the patio or in the lobby until the music's over before they hear me and they start coming in, right? These folks one day are going to get caught up in the homecoming and they won't be able to help but sing out the joy that's pouring out of their life, right? And this is not some, I, I, I am not a fan of kind of the cheerleader worship thing, like everybody put your hands in the air now thing. Like that's not, there's something natural and organic to it. And there's also something to recognize in the the lack of singing, what I tried to explain to my son, is like, there's a story here. These people that you think don't sing enough, to the worship leaders who are coming to visit, you, they carry some wounds. They've been some places. They've been manipulated in some pretty heavy and dark ways. It's natural that they wouldn't show up vulnerably and sing out with everything they got, given what they've seen and experienced. But we're a part of that healing. And one day this will change, Right? but it's not because they just didn't hear it or don't care about it or don't love God in the way that you do. They've got a story, right? Isaiah says, uh, your story, the one that's stripped the songs out of your life, there's a day coming where they'll be poured right back in. And so on this third Sunday of Advent that we call Gaudete, Latin for rejoice, the one pink candle in the sea of purple and gloom, right? That reminds us for all the sighs we are the people who hold on to joy. Isaiah says, don't be afraid. Rejoice. I hear your sighs. They're coming to an end. And when I hear that, here, the first thing that came to mind this week when I was sitting with the tension of that is this joke about a polar bear. You guys heard the baby polar bear joke? Um, I think I first heard it on Ellen. I don't know. Um... But here's, here's how the polar bear joke goes. It says, one day there's this uh, polar bear cub, and the polar bear cub's supposed to be doing his homework. And it's after school, sitting at home at the kitchen table, whatever, doing his homework, and stops his homework and looks up to his mom and says, Mom, you're a polar bear, right? Yes. Am I a polar bear? And she said, of course you are. Do your homework, you know? He um, starts doing homework for a few seconds and goes, Dad, you're mom's a polar bear are you a polar bear and Ted's like yes of course i'm a polar bear so am i a polar bear yes you are a polar bear do what your mom told you get back to your homework right and uh sits there for a little bit apparently grandparents are over and says hey grandpa uh, mom and dad are both polar bears uh, you're a polar bear am i a and at this point mom has had it it's like okay this is ridiculous. You're supposed to be doing your homework. What is the deal? Like, why are you asking about whether you're a polar bear? Of course you're a polar bear. And the little polar bear cub then speaks up and says, well, then why am I so damn cold, <laughs> right? This, this is what it feels like to be the people of God sometimes, right? It's like, hey, if everything's changed, if the songs are breaking forth, if this is the day of joy, if all the sighs are being uh, swept out of our lives, then why do I still feel so cold? It's a good question. In the lectionary uh, this morning, usually we're in the Gospels, for Advent we've been in Isaiah, but the Gospel text today, uh, John the Baptist asks this very question. He asks the polar bear question. And John the Baptist, if you don't know your church stuff, he's like, but for Jesus, he's kind of the man. He's the goat, right? So he, there's not many people whose birth gets announced by angels. His was, right? Kind of miraculous birth. He was literally Jesus's cousin. He also happened to be like Jesus's best friend. He's the person who baptized Jesus, which is like decent to have on your resume, right? He's kind of like, have you seen my work? Um, he... He is the forerunner for Jesus. He goes before Jesus everywhere he goes and goes, this guy's the man. He's the dude, I'm gonna hype the crowd up, I'm gonna warm it up, but he's about to deliver. Hold on, things are about to change, right? This is who John the Baptist has been his whole life. As he's living out his life, as he's ushering in this new kingdom, as he's speaking about a world that will be made whole, it begins to threaten the political powers that time. And so King Herod has him arrested and thrown in jail. And while he's sitting in jail, he realizes he's about to die. He's going to be killed for for speaking up for this new kingdom that's coming. And so he sends his friends in an incredibly vulnerable moment to Jesus, and he asks him, just give it to me straight. Like, are you the one or not? Right? This is literally, there's like the person who believed in Jesus most who's ever walked the earth is going like, was this whole thing a sham? Is this for real or not? And Jesus looks at his friends. He says, I want you to go back and tell John this. This is what I want you to tell him. And he quotes Isaiah 35. He quotes the very chapter we just read. In fact, he lifts up verses five and six. He says, go back and tell John this. Remind him of this. This is a story he knows. This is a song of hope and joy that he probably has memorized. He says, tell him that the eyes of the blind are being opened, that the ears of the deaf are being unstopped, that the lame are leaping like the deer, and the tongue of the speechless are singing for joy. You know, we hear that, and I go, Man, I don't know if I've seen, I don't think I know a blind person who's been given sight. Like, these feel like pretty epic things. Uh, this, by the way, would not have been, I mean, it was significant. This was not epic to John. John knew all this. John saw all this. John had experienced all this. What what Jesus is saying to John, John's dissatisfied with this. John's like, hey, you said the whole thing was about to be turned upside down, right? And, uh, and all these unjust rulers were going to come down from their thrones. And all the unjust powers of this world were going to be upended. And as far as I can tell, Jesus, you're spending like way too much time hanging out with baristas, you know? And every single person you heal, people have long forgotten their names. These people have no power. When do we get to the real work? right? When's the big epic cosmic stuff going down? When is Herod going to find himself in prison and I'm going to find myself on his throne, right? This, he had kind of a vision of how this kingdom was going to lay out. And Jesus reminds him of how this thing takes shape. In essence, in essence he says this, it's like, uh, if you're looking for joy, if you're wondering why you're so cold, the first step is to know where to look. Right? Jesus says, the way that my kingdom is kind of taking shape in the world, it's not the same violent way you've seen it. It's going to come among small, what seem like insignificant acts, among unknown, unimportant people that will have a local impact. Right? So when you're looking for the mighty acts, among the powerful people of the world to change things on a cosmic scale, you might not see what it is that's taking shape right here in your midst. And so for all the size that we're walking through in this life, Jesus says, don't miss the joys. Don't miss the small moments where the kingdom is breaking through. And this has been a really holy prompt for me this week as I've thought about our life together and where the ministry of God is taking shape here. I can't help but think about other stories, stories like um, Tyler Birch, who spent the last however many weekends building this beautiful set for our kids' Christmas play tonight, uh, measuring twice and hammering it all in just so and staining it till it's just the right finish so that a bunch of kids who have been running around in circles during play practice might stand up here and try and figure it out on the fly tonight at 5 o'clock in that corner, right? I mean, this is... This, What, but God's great, what a beautiful thing to use your gifts in the community of the people of God in that sort of way. To watch him come in and half interrupt a staff meeting this week to deliver these things. I I start to think about um, my new friend Micah, who over dinner a a week or two ago, uh, I was asking him about his church on Morgan story. And he said, hey, I'll give it to you straight. I came in. Some people told me about it. I live downtown. I figured it's close. I walked in, And uh, it was like the weirdest thing ever. Um, Not feeling it at all. Uh, He was like, there was a baby getting baptized and communion on the same week. And this for him was like very concerning. Uh, And so I just made this quiet deal with God. And I said, look, uh, if you want me to be here, you're going to have to surround me in people. And he said, that week, I wasn't really thinking about it, but you had announced these groups. And I decided to just try out two of them. And I went to... Two of these groups, see if these people were as weird as your service, and they were okay. And two weeks later, I find myself standing in the worship service, and we're singing, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I had this, like, impulse to look around the room, and I realized on that day, just two weeks in, that I had 50 new friends I knew by name. And it was like, I guess that's why I'm here. You still got to explain a lot of stuff to me, but, like, here's where I'm at, right? It's, It's like a a new friend of mine that I've met here at church on Morgan who this week really humbly didn't even know what she was handling or carrying or saying to me, but just kind of said, um, uh, I, I love being at church every single week. It's all I think about all week long. And, um, I never thought, and I, I said, I never thought that I would, um, go to worship as an adult, especially in a storefront church. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, I never thought I'd be a pastor of a storefront church, you know? But I guess that's sort of what we are. Yeah, you know, here we are. She said, like, no, seriously, Justin, like, I... Um, everything I know, basically, about God and Jesus and, and following him, I've learned sitting in that room in the last six months. It's Just mind-blowing, right? Um, it's, it's like... Uh, another friend of mine here in our community who really painfully, uh, but honestly shared, I heard share with a group at our church just a couple weeks ago that what this place has meant to her, that she, she grew up in a faith community, she grew up in a church where uh, because of who she loved, she was actually, um, she was told that she was disgusting. And, and to find this community uh, where her love is celebrated where the way that she's made is seen as kind of a reflection of the creativity of God, it's something that's beautiful, it's utterly transformational. Right? There, there's so many of these little stories. Just two or three weeks ago, I mean, 40 or 50 people gathered in our lobby and were given the gift, especially my kind of white um, friends. We're given the gift to hear some people of color share very vulnerably about their experience of our city, of our country, of our church. And we're given uh, the opportunity to have their own vision restored a little bit to in the work that's in front of us. These signs of, where else can this happen? What else, how else would you make sense of the meaning and the joy and the opportunity in the kingdom that's breaking forward in these small, insignificant, unknown places like us. Storefront church. It's, it's why uh, a preacher I really trust and love uh, says it this way. He says, you should never trust a skinny chef or a grumpy preacher. <laughs> and that challenges me. Um, <laughs> but I think he's right. It's not because I I don't get the sigh. It's the first prayer that comes. But how could you possibly um, sit where you sit among the people of God and not live a life characterized by joy when these are the stories that fall in my lap every single day? It's a reminder that for us that the best and probably only invitation we really have to those outside these walls to enter what we're a part of is our joy. And so my hope and prayer for us this day, Church on Morgan, is that we, uh, for all the size that we experience, that, that we would have eyes to see the joy, that we would be a small pink candle in a midst, in a sea of purple and gloom. And that, that would uh, lead people to wander in here and find the same joy we found uh, maybe so in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen